if I get all pumped up, I'm going to work on some financial goal of some kind. I'm going to go for it. And I can only last for a week or for a month doing it, even a quarter doing it, even a year doing it. I haven't done anything yet. I want to be doing something that I can, 50 years from now, I'm still doing that habit. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance, mine too. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and today we go behind the scenes with Essentialism best-selling author Greg McEwen for our Habits Show. If you didn't catch our main interview with him two days ago in episode 492, go listen to it. You won't want to miss it. Today, I walk through the seven spokes of success in the Ziggler Wheel of Life with Greg to see what his habits for success are. And I'll tell you now, I bet you'll hear some new ones. I sure did. For starters, he keeps a daily food journal. And just from that alone, with no effort, he lost 10 pounds. He does a lot of trampolining with his kids, as I do. Love that. He is intrigued by all that Jesus didn't do. You're going to have to listen to the show to uh, understand that part. He fasts monthly and has compiled a journal of 10,000 items he's grateful for. And he says, because of that, it's really hard not to feel joyful and grateful. He was really completely thoughtful, open, and 100% authentic. It was a tremendous joy, and we shared some fun in the interview as well. I could tell you more, or let's just dive in and listen to him. So nice to be with you. Ah, great to be back with you, Greg. And in the main show that we did to you, episode 489, and you talked a lot about the small incremental daily things that we do, which is perfect. That is the essence of habits and what we want to do here and kind of get a behind the scenes on your own journey in your personal development, the things that you do to lead this essentialist life. So we'll dive in. Number one is the physical, the, the body, the thing that we live inside. What is a part of your uh, habits to keep that well? Well, I mentioned uh, the idea of writing down, you know, what you're going to eat each day. This yeah. is, this is, this is non-trivial habit for me. Uh, this, uh, if, if I just keep an actual log of it. So I'm not saying everyone that that works for everyone, but I actually have a checklist that I'm carefully curating over time that are my daily things. And on there are things that you'd think sometimes you'd think, well, wouldn't you remember to do that? But I find I have a terrible memory and often don't remember to do things unless I have it on there. And then I remember to go and do it. Um, and I also, because I track it, I can see and keep myself honest with how long it's been since I've actually done that thing. Uh, so, uh, so I'm not doing especially well on, uh, on exercise. I can tell you that for a fact. Uh, but I can also say when it is happening, and I can see that it's happening in small ways better now than it has six months ago. Uh, so, so... The other thing I do that's on the little hab daily habit is I'm back to just drinking water mm. and nothing else. That's just, that's a small change. Um, but it means that instead of drinking soda, instead of drinking juice, instead of drinking whatever, uh, it's just water. And that, uh, that's for me, I, I can't always imagine adding something extra into my life, but that's removing something and my health goes up. So it's, uh, that's, oh, that's an answer. I love it. Love it. Okay, next one is family. I know you are uh, at your home right now, married and four kids and at least one dog uh, that we heard a little bit ago. 
so what are the, yeah, those intentional essentialist investments you make into your family? Uh, one of the things that's on my everyday list is to play with my children. Uh, I think play is something that doesn't, doesn't just happen. Mm. And I don't mean, I don't mean on a video game or something. I mean, on the trampoline or, or sitting down and playing a board game together or something like that. And when I come to evaluate my life from anything like a long-term perspective, so for example, I started writing, started reading my journal. I keep a journal pretty much every day. I don't think I've missed a day in about the last six years mm. and, uh, and not many in the last 10 or 15 years. But as I reread those, I'm amazed at how many of the things I've written that don't really matter to me now. But the things that do are the moments when I've written about playing with my children and specifically what I'd done that day. That memory comes flooding back. So now it's actually on the daily list. Go, go play with your children. I notice that when it's on there, I do it. And when I don't have it on there, it's easy to go and you don't do it because there's yeah. so many other things to do. Yeah, absolutely. With a trampoline, we actually own two of them. I'd say that accounts for somewhere around a million calories that I've burned over the lifetime of my kids. That's uh, honestly, I think a trampoline with children is about the best money agreed. you could possibly spend. Agreed. Honestly, it's amazing, isn't it? How, yeah. ma- how much time children will spend on a trampoline? Oh my goodness! It, it is to go on there yourself and wrestle and so on. So yeah, exactly from a that. health standpoint and a, and an engagement and a looking at the stars and yeah, a- amen, right. absolutely. Well, next one is. Uh, mental, just what are those habits that you do to strengthen yourself, make yourself well mentally? And I got to, I got to put in there myself, almost the fact that you've journaled every day for almost six years, has got to be a dramatic part of that. But, but what, what falls in that category? Yes, you're right about that. That, that writing to me is, is a, is a small habit, but a disciplined one now for me. Um, every morning, reading in wisdom literature, which for me is scripture, but you know, there's a lot of great wisdom literature out there. But I think the primary criteria is, is something that has really stood the test of time, something that it wasn't written in this current culture, because I want to be challenging my, the assumptions in my current culture, which will be, our current cultures are invisible to us. Mm-hmm. We can't even see them. We're like fish who discover water last. It's the last thing we'll see as our own culture. In fact, I think that's the definition of culture. It's exactly the things that are invisible to us. And so by reading something that was written that has lasted a long time, so it's of high value, it's, of, it's, it's, it's got timeless principles to it, will help challenge my current assumptions about how the world ought to be and how my life ought to be spent. Can I ask where you're studying in the Bible right now? Well, I received a challenge recently um, by a a leader, churchman, who had read every single reference to, to Christ in the scriptures, just every single reference. And I combine that with something I heard um, Philip Yancey once do, which he said, well, what, what if I'd never read about him before? 
what if I'd never read the New Testament before? And I just had to come to it with no pre-existing assumptions. Who would I find? And as he did that, he found a character so different than the one he often heard people talk about or himself written about that he was really surprised that he found somebody more emotional than he expected. More, I mean, this is somebody who's able to turn to his best friend, you know, you get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, that is, that is pretty bold, right? That's saying directly to the, the current political and religious leaders of your society, you know, you, you are completely of the devil. You're wrong and everything about you is wrong. I mean, this is a radical figure. As I've been doing this, there's been lots of observations, but one of them is breathtaking for me. And that is everything he didn't do is breathtaking to me. Wow. All the places he didn't go. All the people he didn't see, all the people he didn't heal. The, 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 The scriptural path of less is a path less traveled by, but it doesn't make it less scriptural. So I think that that kind of, in fact, I think the non-essentialism sometimes gets in the way of us even being able to read scripture correctly because we're bringing so much of the baggage with us that we emphasize certain verses over other things, certain stories over other stories. When you read it with an essentialist mindset, you find it's everywhere. Divine trade-offs on every page. And suddenly the discipled pursuit of less but better is hidden in plain sight. It is core central theology doctrine scripture not peripheral that's dramatic and if you're not contemplating a book on everything jesus didn't do uh it's worth considering i would read that book uh it's profound you just you you really actually just gave if i ever write a book on that subject that's as good a title as i've heard yes on it everything jesus didn't do isn't that powerful I would buy it immediately. Uh, it's a completely different paradigm. It is because, because what's happened in so many churches in the culture is that we brought the culture with us, didn't we? I mean, you don't, you don't, you know, you know, somehow as you walk through the doors to church, all of the perspectives and mindsets that we've been absorbing all through our lives and have been absorbed into our intergenerational families lives before us, that have made us who we are. We don't suddenly just, well, that ends there. And then we enter into this sanctuary. I mean, of course we hope it's a form of a sanctuary, but so much of that has come with us because it's inside of us. And so I think that our church has become, well, sort of like our corporations can become, our institutions become, our current culture becomes, and we just have to do everything. We have to do it all. Everything perfect now. Mm-hmm not the perfect that you find in scripture the perfect the perfect out there our kids have to look perfect they have to talk perfect we have to dress perfect we have to we have to be able to do it all we can't struggle we can't be admit we can't we can't make trade-offs we're just going to do it all everything popular now gets taken into the culture and and then after that it's already corrupted you know then then our best intentions will still be minimized. They'll still be affected. Uh, our joy will still be pulled away from us. 
I think we just landed on another show topic uh, completely that we could go on that I would be happy to, to do again with you. Well, I, I, I'm going to go right from there to the next spoke, which is spiritual. Maybe we just covered that, uh, your, your daily reading of the scriptures or anything else that you would share with us uh, that is a significant part of your daily continual habit, habitual walk to invest in your spiritual life. Um. You know, I mean, I, 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 I fast uh, at least monthly. Mm. That's, um, that's not unusual, but, but it's a very essentialist practice. Okay, being a lifetime Christian and a guy who works, uh, is as heavily invested in the wellness industry, fasting at all is very um, abnormal. Uh, doing it monthly is, is, is near rock star status, not to, to pump you up. It's, it's something, it's a topic we talk a lot about is it's uh, amazing how rare that it is in our culture. So, so from a, just, first of all, tying it to the physical, because obviously right. all of the seven areas that Zig identified, they're all interrelated, aren't they? It's, yes. It's, yes. They're, it's good to think about them separately. And it's also good to remember how, how they're all interconnected. And, um, I mean, it is simply a fact that people who lived through the Depression lived longer. Mm -hmm. So hold on. At the time that people were eating the least, at the time when poverty was the highest in the country, that's when people lived longer? Well, something's amiss then, isn't it? And a key part of it is literally just calorie intake. They were just eating less. And certainly less of the richest foods and less of the of sort of the, the king's diet uh, that has become. I mean, even now, when somebody thinks about going for a fancy meal, they mean the king's diet. They mean, and, and I like my steaks just for sure. I do, uh, but but uh, but nevertheless, to recognise that that isn't that isn't the thing that will breathe life into my spirit. Um, so, so yes, this idea of fasting, I mean, there's a lot of research now about this, about the, to eat less than 500 calories a day, is it, these sort of extreme low calorie diets. The, the results are off the charts in terms of health over time. And so, so to me, sometimes that feels a bit overwhelming. So it seems to me that if that feels a little overwhelming, we can just go back to this thing that we've talked about, I think, in the last in the first interview, but just write down everything you eat. That's a small, a miniature version of this. I know that doesn't sound like the same as fasting, but it's the, it's the beginning of, of a less but better mm-hmm. diet. And I think that this is key to bringing your body into submission so that your spirit can, can, uh, can be heard. You know, it's, it's how can we hear the voice of conscience that is constantly available to us when we're numbing it with immense amounts of distracting food, of sodas, of, of, of rich, heavy foods, of heavy meat diets, of fast food. Of, I mean, this is, uh, we talk about a hundred year vision. Mm-hmm. We want to we last a long time. We want to make a contribution for a long time. And, uh, and, and we want to be, have high discernment and our bodies are key element of that to, to, um, you know, to, it's not just to pray off these is to fast and pray off. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Less, but better diet. 
mm-hmm. I think is key to a spiritual renewal. Absolutely. Absolutely. We know that the, the people who live the longest and around globally eat better food, of course, but they eat less, they less eat less often. There's so much, I live in a world on the wellness side, we talk about the physiological standpoint, but yeah, on the spiritual side, have, it's Have dramatic. you read the China study? Uh, is that one of the blue? Uh, no, it's one of the blue zones area. If you if you've ever read about the blue zones, where they we have the longest living, best living people, and uh, uh, actually, no, I'm thinking about Okinawa, Japan, not China. Yeah. But tell me, the China study it was uh, the first time that we really had great longevity study on diet, and it was created, I mean, in a little bit of a strange way, by uh, a, a Chinese emperor that said okay, these whole areas won't eat meat. Uh, they, they, ate, they ate fish, some fish, but they were very, very low uh, animal produce. And so we have the data comparat- comparing whole cities and regions that had different diets. You, know, you don't normally have that, do you? Wow. There's, no, there's no other equivalent data pool. Yeah. And I think it's Columbia and Cambridge or Oxford, or, two, two partner universities, took that data and studied it. It's a, it's a, it's a long book and it's all the data is, is in it. Huh. So people can read the real data. It's not like a, a, a fad. In fact, it's like the anti-fad uh, system of insight. And basically what it found is that cancer was, in fact, this is, I think how they discovered these areas, zero cancer in the areas that in these, in these regions, zero, no cancer, no heart disease, none. And what they found is that if your animal produce, if, the, if you eat higher than 10% animal produce, so that's any, any animal produce, your chances of, of, uh, of cancer and heart disease immediately go up. Mm-hmm. And if you're under that 10%, not only to the, do, your, do the cases go down, but people that have cancer will suddenly have, uh, they're, they're, it will go into remission. The, 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 it is an extraordinary finding and this is the magic number it's 10 percent. of course most of us are eating far far more than 10 mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've been taught that we should drink milk at every breakfast um we've been taught that we need eggs and bacon we've been taught that this is this is what we've been told is in fact what we should be doing yeah. and so to get back to the one the one thing that has never changed in all of these diets and all these fads that have come and gone right the one thing that doesn't change is eat fresh fruit and vegetables that's never changed. It's the one thing that's absolutely consistent because that's supposed to be what we're, that's actually supposed to be the main course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the rest is, uh, uh, you know, the rest is supposed to be a garnish to that. Anyway, now we're riffing a lot. On I these know things. we've got a few shows to do off of this. Okay, friends, I trust you are getting value from this conversation with Greg McEwen. Again, the book Essentialism is available wherever you buy your books and you can connect with Greg at gregmcewen.com. That's M-C-K-E-O-W-N. I have a great offering for anyone interested in leveraging LinkedIn and a great service to tell you about. So first, LinkedIn riches. All right. So Ziegler fans, one of our favorite Ziegler quotes is stop selling and start helping. When it comes to finding potential clients online, few experts are as helpful as our friend, best-selling author, John Nemo. John has personally rewritten and optimized the LinkedIn profiles of our very own Tom Ziegler, CEO of Ziegler and Zig's proud son. Also Mark Tim, our executive vice president at Ziegler. 
Uh, they've both gotten phenomenal results from it. In addition, John has personally rewritten LinkedIn profiles for Bob Berg, Chris Brogan, John Lee Dumas, Jarek Robbins, and my own father, Dan Miller of 48 Days Fame, plus other well-known business coaches, consultants, authors, and speakers. As we mentioned before, John is extremely helpful. He's taken the time to develop a free webinar that will teach you how to use LinkedIn to find, engage, and sell to your ideal clients on the platform. If you aren't using LinkedIn to meet new clients or you are using it, but wish you could get more leads out of it, this is the perfect starting point. You can sign up for John's free training at linkedinriches.com slash Ziggler. Just like he's helped Tom Ziegler and countless others, John Nemo is there to help you guys get qualified leads using LinkedIn. So again, sign up for John's free training today at linkedinriches.com slash Ziegler. And then concur. As a business leader, employee satisfaction is just as important as the bottom line. That's why concur exists. They provide cloud-based travel expense and invoice services for businesses, Concur, a part of SAP, imagines the way cost-effective travel should work, offering cloud-based services that make it simple for companies to manage travel and expenses. By connecting data, applications, and people, Concur helps small to large companies manage spending wherever and whenever it happens. Only Concur offers the tools that benefit both your employees and your finance team. Employees greatly appreciate automated expense claims and invoices and approve from anywhere. The finance department loves that they have full visibility into employee spending. Plus concur integrates with leading finance systems with concur travel. You can let employees book travel on any site and also stay within company travel and expense policies. With Concur Expense, you get automated expense reporting that allows your employees to create an expense by taking a picture of the receipt and it automatically gets added to their expense report. For a finance leader, this provides you with more accurate data to manage company spending. Then with Concur Invoice, capture invoices electronically, whether something is received via paper, fax, or email, then it automatically routes and manages approvals. Learn more at Concur, C-O-N-C-U-R, dot com slash Ziggler. Again, that's concur.com slash Ziggler. Well, so let me go to, in just the area of finances, such a big area of uh, challenge for a lot of people and stress and anxiety. What have, uh, what's been part of your journey habits in the area of finance? Well, I've actually found that, that a big key I mean, I think about finance. When you say the word finance, I actually am not just thinking money broadly. I'm thinking the management of mm-hmm. the money that you have. Mm-hmm. Is that what you mean by the word finance or do you mean money broadly? No. Well, it, it's where it's, it's the area of focus for you. Honestly, it's where, where you found a, an avenue of financial uh, health. And that can come from different varieties of, of different places because we all have different areas of challenge or strength or weakness. So no, go with, with where your mind goes. Well, it's back to the daily. If you haven't changed something, if I haven't changed something in my daily ritual that's sustainable within range of every day for the next 50 years, then I haven't discovered anything and I haven't changed anything. It's just pretend. Mm. If I get all pumped up, I'm going to work on some financial goal of some kind. I'm going to go for it. And I can only last for a week or for a month doing it, even a quarter doing it, even a year doing it. I haven't done anything yet. 
I want to be doing something that I can, 50 years from now, I'm still doing that habit. Mm. Because the effect, the human, humans are we're immensely bad at, at understanding the power of cumulative behavior. So we massively overestimate what we can do in a day and massively underestimate what we can do in a decade or over 50 years. I'm in the 50 years game. I'm in the 100 year game. And so for me, it's, it's literally, I have checklists of, of specific things I'm doing. So I've broken down the business that I run down into just a few items. And I want to do each of those every single day. Um, you know, a big, a big area for me is a big trade-off uh, made um, a year ago. It was time to write the next book. And I want to, and the agent's ready, and the publisher's ready, and got lots of ideas. And But when I do all that, that spiritual work, I can feel, you know, the prompting, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be doing, of all things, uh, like television. I haven't spent 20 years focused on television. I've spent 20 years focused on teaching and writing. Mm-hmm. And in one sense, I can understand how television would make sense because it's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tremendous platform to be able to teach, to, to teach, to impact. I mean, I can see some benefits. I can see it being a higher point of contribution, but I can also see it's absolutely not what I was you know, um, focused on. And the trade-off, it felt very clear, make that trade-off. And I did make the trade-off, but it wasn't easy. And I have to admit, it's burned most days since Hmm. to not write on the next book. But it's felt right. In its place, television. But you see, I don't know what to do. And what I found is that I had to put it as the intent. So first of all, just an intent. No plan, because I have none, an intent. And secondly, you then make a space on your daily checklist, on my daily checklist, do something towards television. That's it. That's all I've got. I've got no plan. I don't even know where to start at all. Within days of that big trade-off, but the intent is now there, uh, Steve Harvey blogged that he'd read Essentialism and it changed his life. And so suddenly, because I've got space and a check mark, okay, well, I'm going to do something on television today. Well, Well, let's have somebody reach out to him. So we did, and that ended up being multiple episodes, and there's been this whole journey that's taken place in the last year, and I can hardly believe the progress that's been made by doing these tiny things with this intent in mind. That's an example of something that is next-level contribution, tiny little thing, do it every day, watch what happens. Well, one of the spokes here uh, that I was going to get to next is, is career and business. Though I feel like you just gave us an incredible insight into that and, and a schooling in that, uh, which is significant. So uh, the last one then is personal. Uh, it's, it's just the personal side. And the way that I frame this, Greg, is really these are the daily habits that you do to make uh, all those withstanding, but to make Greg the, the fullest and best Greg that you can be, and they may be just some things you do just for you hobbies, even, or, or interests or, uh, uh, or could be disciplines. What's, what's in the personal spoke to make Greg, Greg, you know, I, I do, I feel like we've covered it a bit, but well, we've covered it. It, to me, that the only thing that immediately comes to mind is, is the journal, Hmm. but I, I can't really explain how important that is to me. It started off as a tiny thing, a few, few sentences a day. 
And that's how I got to be consistent. But then it grew from that into, I mean, it's the place that I pour. Well, no, I'll say this. Here's, here's a specific answer. When I, when I moved into the, I don't want to miss a day over the long, long period of time. The format that I used was gratitude, right? So every entry, every, every paragraph or entry begins, I am thankful for. And that's not, of course, new to me. That's very, you know, lots of people recommend that. I've been doing that now, as I mentioned, now for, for, for six years. But I estimated recently that there are now 10,000 items written down that I'm thankful for. And I could hardly believe that. That little tiny practice has grown into 10,000 things. It's hard to feel sorry for yourself if you, if you can point to 10,000 ways in which you feel like you've been blessed over a six-year period. It, it's, to, to me, this, this is wow. such an important monitor for, for in things when, they, when, when tough things happen, it keeps you centered because it gives you perspective. And when great things are happening, you might get, get full of yourself and, and off track in that way, it centers you. So I find it, it's a very important principle for maintaining uh, a, a sort of equilibrium in life, that the lows get corrected faster and the highs don't ruin you either. There you go. That's what I'll say. That's significant. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for, for walking us through uh, that. It is so incredibly uh, really, it's, it's insightful, but it's also empowering to hear the the strengths, the weakness, the struggle, and the the reality. And yeah, we've got multiple points to jump on into another show with at some point. So thank you again for letting us uh, look inside your life. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. Wow, folks. Uh, hopefully you got some great takeaways from Greg. I immensely did. Really insightful and convicting. Again, if you didn't hear the main interview with Greg in episode 492, please don't miss it. You can connect again with Greg at his website, gregmcewen.com. That's M-C-K-E-O-W-N. Coming up next in show 494, we have Greg's Zigbomb, his Ziggler quote and value, his favorite one. Listen to the show to hear a first-time cited quote from any of our guests, from which I asked the question on my agent K. Miller Facebook page, what role does motivation play in your real day-to-day life? There's plenty of baggage associated with the word. I'm asking for some show content. So as always, looking for real feedback, not platitudes. We got a record number of comments, really deep ones, that my co-host Michelle Prince and I walked and talked through. And of course, if you get value from any of this, folks, please give us a hand by leaving a review in iTunes. Thank you so much for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 